بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم نحمد صلی اللہ رسول الحمدللہ ٹوڈے از دا فورٹی In Abu Dawood and his great in Sayyih, in Sayyih al-Jami, our beloved messenger said, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, a believer will continue to move along quickly, i.e. towards paradise, in a good state, just as long as he does not spill forbidden blood. If he spills forbidden blood, he then becomes slow and heavily footed. So in this authentic report, the Prophet ﷺ said, Meet your Lord without spilling blood, and you will be heading quickly towards your destination. But if you spill the forbidden blood, this will, like they say, put the proverbial brakes on. In another report, in Nasai, graded Sayyih, in Sayyih al-Jami, the Prophet ﷺ said, The perishing of this entire world is lighter in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala than the killing of a Muslim man. So, the whole world being destroyed will happen at Ayy, at Qiyamat. But to take the life of a Muslim man unjustly is more graver in the sight of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. In another report, in Nasai Abu Dawud Ahmad graded Hassan in As-Sahira, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, it can be expected that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala may forgive every sin except the sin of a man who intentionally kills a believer or a man who dies as an unbeliever. So in this authentic report, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Allah ta'ala will forgive. But there's two he will not, according to this authentic report. One is if a man who intentionally kills a believer He goes, he will not be forgiven. Or the one who dies as an unbeliever. So here, Hafiz Sindhi, in his commentary, Hashiyah, volume 7, page 81, he commented, It could be expected that any sin may be forgiven by Allah without first being punished in the hellfire except deliberate murder. So the scholars, they explain this hadith of the Prophet to mean that you will be punished before being purified. In another report, in Adiyah, graded Sahih, in As-Sahihah, the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refuses to make for the killer of a believer any form of repentance. Astaghfirullah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala refuses to make for the killer of a believer any form of repentance, meaning he will be punished. And also, in terms of uh, chronology, um, which verse was revealed last? There's a hadith. The hadith is in Nasai Tirmidhi, graded Sahih in Sahih al-Jami. Abdullah ibn Abbas was asked about a person who murdered a believer but then repented and believed 
and did many good deeds and was guided. Will this be sufficient? Ibn Abbas said, What repentance is there for him? I have heard your Prophet say, The killed person will come hanging onto the killer with his veins flowing with blood. He will be saying, Oh my Lord, ask this person why he killed me. Then Ibn Abbas said, By Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this, Surah 4 verse 93, and he did not abrogate it. So Ibn Abbas, in this authentic report, he goes, there's no repentance for the one who killed the believer. And then he says, Surah 4 verse 93 was the final verse. And if you look at the translation, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, If a man kills a believer intentionally, his reward is hell to abide therein. And the wrath and the curse of Allah up upon him and an immense penalty is prepared for him. So Ibn Abbas said this was the last verse because there's nothing after this. <laughs> and also in Tirmidhi graded Sahih in Sahih Sunan and Tirmidhi our beloved messenger said Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam if the inhabitants of the heavens and the inhabitants of the earth jointly participated in the blood of a believer then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would certainly throw them all into the hellfire. So if there's a conspiracy to kill one person, doesn't matter who, even if the entire world, Allah will throw them all, the Prophet said, Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So the scholars, the majority of scholars, Rahimahumullah state, there is still a chance for a complete repentance due to two verses. Surah 39 verse 53, and Surah 4 verse 48, where it famously says, Allah will forgive anything except shirk. Imam Abu Hanifa and Imam Shafi'i, they state, the murderer is under the decision of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He may forgive or punish him with or without repentance. So two of the Imams, Imam Abu Hanifa, Imam Shafi'i said, he may be punished, he may even not be punished depending upon Allah's wish. Imam Ahmad in one view he states there is no repentance for the murderer and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala he knows best. So Imam Ahmad he takes the narration of Ibn Abbas where he goes there's no repentance meaning he will be punished first. <coughs> and also another thing which is very important in today's day and age the hadith is in Tabarani and Behaki is Hassan, our beloved messenger, he said, Sallallahu Alaihi None of you should remain in a place where a man is being killed unjustly. For the curse of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala descends on anyone who was present and did not defend him. So in this authentic report, the Prophet said, if a person is being killed unjustly and you do not defend him, or you keep away because the curse of Allah will afflict you. So now a person goes, well, you know, who's going to witness a murder? And the response is, you got these pawns. People are showing you deaths. So maybe you are <laughs> afflicting yourself upon the curse of Allah. Because I don't want to know, I don't want to see things like that. Leave that, keep it away from me. And also, in Sayyid Bukhari, the Prophet he said, there is always a leeway for the person to escape blame for all his sins he might commit, except for when there is blood on his hands, meaning this is a serious matter. 
And also in Sayyid Bukhari and Muslim, the Prophet said, the first issue addressed on the day of judgment will be murder. So the first of the rights of Allah which will be questioned about is Salah, famous hadith. But the first right amongst each other which Allah will deal with is murder, meaning how serious it is. And in another report, just to add, in Ibn Majah Isbahani, Tafsir Mazhiri, Ma'rifal Quran, the Prophet ﷺ, he said, Whoever helps in the killing of a believer by assisting the killing even with one word will then be brought before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala on the day of judgment and it will be written on his forehead, deprived of the mercy of Allah. So think about that. You haven't, you just said one word which has helped to kill an innocent, an innocent believer. You will have deprived of mercy on your head on the day of judgment. That's just the just word. Then what about the one who kills? And this is why in Dada Kutni 3-139, Behaki 8-50, Abdul Razak number 17,892, the Prophet said, the killer will be killed and the one who held the victim will be held in custody I till death. The killer will be killed. That's the punishment on the earth. And the one who held the victim will be put into custody, meaning he'll be imprisoned. The Prophet mentions So these are some of the reports with regards to the gravity of the crime. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala preserves us from this by His kindness and mercy. Amen. So verse 33. The punishment of those who wage war against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and His Messenger and strive with might and main for mischief throughout the land is execution or crucifixion or the cutting off of hands and feet from opposite sides or exile from the land. That is their disgrace in this world and yet a heavy punishment is theirs in the hereafter. So now this is one of the places in the Quran where Allah mentions that those who are at war with Allah and his messenger. So more famously, this is referring to the ones who deal with riba. But here Allah mentions the punishment of those who wage war against Allah and his messenger are those who cause mischief throughout the land. So first, a few reports. In Nasai Abu Dawood ibn Kathir Tafsir, Abdullah ibn Abbas, he said about this verse and he recited the opening passage. He explained, This was revealed concerning the polytheists, those amongst them who repent before being apprehended. They will still be liable for punishment for the crimes they committed beforehand. So Ibn Abbas is explaining this is talking about not Muslims. This verse is talking about non-Muslims. But they've repented after these crimes were committed, even with their repentance and their embracing Islam, they will still be liable for those crimes they committed, said Ibn Abbas. Imam Sayyuti in his Tafsir Jalali, he mentions that Imam Shafi'i, he said, the punishment in this verse is graded according to the crime committed. Then he mentions four. Number one, those who shed blood and plundered property, they are to be killed and to be crucified. So if they've killed and plundered, they are killed and crucified, said Imam Shafi. 
Number two, if they have only killed without plundering property, they are then only to be killed. Number three, if they plundered the wealth only without killing the plundered, their hands and feet are to be cut off on opposite sides. And number four, if they only terrified the wayfarers without plundering property, they are then to be expelled from their homeland. So why did Imam Shafi say this? Because if you look at the verse, Allah Ta'ala mentions, for those who cause mischief throughout the land, is execution or crucifixion or cutting of hands and feet or exile from the land. There's four. But he is explaining that this is to do with the gravity of the crime that they committed. The, if it's the gravest, then the gravest uh, punishment is given. So now, what exactly is this crime? <coughs> so in the work Fatawa Rahimia or Fatwa Rahimia, the scholars of the Hijaz, volume 6, they explain, page 164 to 6, quote, The scholars have said, that killing by al-ghila is that which is committed intentionally by way of subterfuge and deception or due to the victim feeling safe from the deception of the murderer. So what is this? Al-ghila is when you kill a person with design. You set up the killing. Basically, you're doing something, you're after something and you're going to kill him. Whether it was committed for money or violation of honor or fear of disgrace or his secrets being revealed or the like. Such as when a man deceives a person so that he trusts him and then he takes him to a place where nobody can see him and he kills him. Or as when he kills him in order to take his wife or his daughter. Or as when the wife kills her husband in his bedroom or whilst he is sleeping in order to be free from him, or vice versa. For this reason, the conference of ulama have decided unanimously, except Sheikh Salih ibn Husn, that the one who murders by al-ghila should be executed as a punishment, not in retaliation. So what did the majority of the scholars of the Hijaz decide upon the person who does this crime? who causes mischief in the land. He goes, they are to be executed. This is important to highlight. Why? Not in retaliation. So they the You don't say, oh, because he killed him, therefore he's killed. No, not for retaliation. He is killed or she is killed as a punishment. They then explain. Therefore, it is not accepted, nor is it correct for anyone to pardon him. And the basic principle for this is the Quran, the Sunnah and the companions. They first quote this verse, verse 33. The reward of those who wage war against Allah Ta'ala and His Messenger and do mischief in the land is that they shall be killed. And killing by Al-Ghila is a form of waging war. So he should be killed as a punishment, not as retaliation. Have you understood? He's killed as a punishment, not as retaliation. Then he quotes the Sunnah. As for the Sunnah, this is in Bukhari. It is confirmed in the two sahihs from the Prophet that a Jew crushed the head of a slave girl between two rocks for some silver ornaments which she owned. So a Jew killed a slave woman, crushed her head to take the jewelry. 
he was seized and he admitted to the crime. So Rasulullah ordered his head to be crushed between two rocks. He ordered the Jew to be killed. He did not refer the matter to the family of the slave girl. And if the killing had been retaliation, he would have referred the matter to them because they could have pardoned him. Have you understood? This was Ghilda, right? So the Prophet is, is, is the living Quran. Why did he kill? Because it wasn't for retaliation. It was punishment. Dosin proves that he was killed as a punishment, not as a retaliation. Then they quote the Sahab. He goes, Umar ibn al-Khattab killed five or seven men for the killing of one man who they killed by al-Ghilla. And he said, if all the people of Sana took part in it, I would have killed them all. <laughs> this is the ruling of the Khalif on killing by al-Ghilla. And we do not know of any narration which proves he referred the matter to the relatives. If it was their right, he would have referred the matter to them. So he was killed as a punishment, not as a retaliation. So this is talking about ghilla, not murder, this verse. Ghilla is by design. You're, doing, you're deceiving somebody, you're killing. So the verse isn't talking about murder per se. So now there's a very famous incident which is related to this. So this is recorded in Bukhari and Muslim. Anas radiyallahu he said, eight people of the Ukul tribe came to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa and gave him their pledge to follow Islam. So eight men of a tribe of Ukul embraced Islam. However, Al-Madina's climate did not suit them and they became ill and they complained to the Prophet Thus he said, go with our shepherd to be treated by the milk and urine of his camels. So he told the eight men, he goes, go with our shepherd. He will give you the milk and urine of the camels. This will help you. So they went as directed. After they drank from the camels' milk and urine, they became healthy. And then they killed the shepherd and took the camels. The news reached the Prophet and he sent men in pursuit and they were captured. He then ordered that their hands and feet be cut off and it was done. Their eyes be branded with heated pieces of iron. They were then put in the sun until they died. In another report, when they asked for water, no water was given to them. This is in Nasai number 4030 Sahih. And it adds that this verse was also revealed on this occasion, I verse 33, in Abu Dawood number 4366. So what happened? These men, they killed the shepherd, they took his camels. So what did the Prophet do when, they, when he captured them? He first cut off their hands and their feet. Then he branded their eyes. Then he left them in this desert to die and he refused to give them water. All of that was done to the shepherd as well. In another report, they done that to the shepherd. So the Prophet was doing exactly the same back to them. And this verse was revealed. So note again, the Prophet didn't go to the family of the shepherd. You understand? He immediately gave execution. Why? Because this is punishment. It's not retaliation. And also, what was the crime they committed? Imam Nasai adds a very interesting note. So in a hadith in Nasai, number 4040, it's Sahih. Amir al-Mu'mineen Abdul Malik ibn Marwan, he questioned this. And he said to Anas, Bekufrin, was that punishment for kufr or for the sin? Anna said kufr. 
So what happened? Very good question. Were they executed for the crime? Meaning, were they still Muslims? Or was it because they apostatized? Anna said, Bikufr. Meaning, they left their religion, they were killed. Otherwise, the punishments they suffered were in retribution to what they did to the shepherd. So this is also important to highlight that they were actually apostates as well. <clears throat> and also it mentions here, in Ibn Jarir and Ibn Kathir's tafsir, Abdullah ibn Abbas, he said, and he recited this portion of the verse 33, execution, crucifixion, cutting of the hands, feet from opposite sides or exile. He explained, he who takes up arms in Muslim lands, and spreads fear in the pathway and is captured, the Muslim leader has the choice to either have him killed, crucified, or cut off his hands and his feet. Because the choice, according to Ibn Abbas, and also there's another point, just to add this. So, if you look at the verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, O yunfu min al-ard, or be exiled from the land. So, Hafiz ibn Kathir in his tafsir, Volume 3, page 164, he said, The person is actively pursued until he is captured and receives his prescribed punishment or he escapes from the land of Islam. This is mentioned by Ibn Abbas and Ibn Jarir records it as well. So when Allah says he is exiled from the land, what does that mean? It means that you capture him and you punish him or it means he's escaped from the land of the Muslims. Second meaning, some said that the verse means these people are expelled to another land or to another state by the Muslim authorities. Ibn Jarir Ibn Kathir's tafsir, and he mentions many of the Salaf mentioned this. Third meaning, he is expelled but not outside the land of Islam. Meaning he's gone to some perimeter but he's still in the borders of Islam. Others have stated the fourth meaning, he is imprisoned. So when the Quran says he is exiled, it means you... It's like a metaphorical meaning, meaning he's, he's put away from the people. Imam Abu Hanifa, this is his verdict, meaning this is how you understood this verse, which I'll mention. So now there's a report which is relevant to finish. So this narration is in Tirmidhi Ibn Majah Hassan Ghadib. Imam Darukutni states it's more authentic from a companion. Ali radiallahu relates that the Prophet said, He who sins in this life and was punished for it, then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is far more just than to combine two punishments on his servants. So stop in the hadith. If the prescribed punishment is given to any Muslim, what is the Prophet telling you? That's it. He's not going to get punished in the next. Allah the last two kind to do it twice. Then the Prophet said, He who commits an error in this life and Allah hides this error and pardons him, Allah is far more generous than to punish the servant for something he has already pardoned. SubhanAllah. Simply put, if you commit a sin and the sin is not ever exposed, you never expose that sin, Allah is too kind to expose it. So note Allah in His kindness is making ways out to secure the forgiveness of our sins. So the way we look at the hudud is a means of forgiveness. Allah is showing forgiveness to the Muslims. He wants them to be Forgiven for the crimes they committed. But even if they don't come to the authorities, Allah still finds a way out for them as well in His great kindness. But there's far more to it which I'll mention. Uh, 
tomorrow, inshallah, in terms of what the scholars have said about this this blessed verse. So I'll recite the verse and we will come. أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم إنما جزاء الذين يحاربون الله ورسوله ويسعون في الأرض فصادا أي يقتلوا أو يصلبوا أو تقطع أيديهم وأرجلهم من خلاف أو ينفوا من الأرض ذلك لهم خزي في الدنيا ولهم في الآخرة عذاب عظيم I should have mentioned sorry this is the only place where crucifixion is mentioned in terms of a punishment so in Islam there is something there is a punishment of crucifixion it's mentioned in the Quran and it was applied by Sayyidina Umar to a Jew in Jerusalem this Jew had killed a Muslim in Jerusalem a, Jew, uh, a Muslim he was caught and he was crucified in Jerusalem because he's causing mischief in the land. So when people say, does Islam have a punishment of crucifixion? You say, yes. We're not embarrassed about it in the least. It's mentioned, but it's for those who cause mischief in the land. And why is it so graphic? Because it's sending a sign to all those who are living. Don't, you know, trouble the Muslims. If you cause them harm, this is the punishment you're going to receive, a public demonstration. So we pray to Almighty Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that he protect uh, that he forgive me for any ills which I may have reported during this talk inshallah. Subhanallahumma <laughs> bihamdika